you have your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to open to Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42. I have to admit this week we are going just a little bit of order, out of order for this week in the book of Acts. Uh, last, uh, next week we'll be looking at Peter's uh, sermon on Pentecost. The Jesus, the first week we saw, is given the apostles his marching orders, how they'll continue to spread his kingdom and spread his gospel throughout the world. And so uh, that will happen the first time we see Peter getting up to preach on Pentecost. But uh, given that that arranged a little better with Easter, we're going to go out of order for this week, looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 this morning. But Peter will deliver this sermon on that day of Pentecost, and like Bill mentioned earlier, 3,000 people will come to know Jesus on that day. And so the, the church very quickly moves from this beginning of the 12 apostles and some of Jesus' followers to over 3,000, and so the church is already changing in what it looks like. And as we're looking at this passage this morning, and as my life situation intersects with this, as the, as the unpacking continues in my home, uh, I came across uh, a board game that uh, I'd almost forgotten about, but used to be one of my favorites, and it's the game Taboo. I don't know if you're familiar with this game or not, maybe some of you have played it before, but the object of this game is to uh, say as many words as you can that are on cards in front of you, but the catch is that there are certain words that you cannot say that they are taboo to describe the word you're trying to get people to guess. So for example, if you have the word wind at the top of the card, that's what you're going, trying to get your team to guess. You can't say things like air or breeze or gust or blow or you know, whatever the word might be. There are certain taboo words around that. And if someone does say one of those words, then you get to eh, you know, buzz them. That's the, it's really obnoxious. That's my favorite part. But what it brought to mind this morning as we've kind of begun this series looking at the church, this question of if you were playing taboo, what words would you use to describe church? What words would be on the card that you couldn't say? What words would you say? How would you describe the church if you couldn't say things like steeple or preaching or sermon or worship or sanctuary? How would we describe the church? We began this series last week called The Church Has Left the Building. To do exactly that, to describe who the church is and what the church does. And we likened this series at first to that phrase, Elvis has left the building. That, that phrase that meant the show was over. That there was no, going to be no encore, Elvis is not going to come back out on stage. You can go home now because everything is concluded. And so as we've kind of come out of this year of, of shutdowns and quarantines and, and all those different things, and church has looked a little bit different uh, we've come to this realization that when the church leaves the building, it's not quite the same. It's when the church leaves the building, that's, that's when the real action begins. And so as we look at this early church in the book of Acts, we see a little bit more about what the church was intended to be and how we can carry that out now today as the church. Last week we began with the church is, and we saw that the church is spirit-empowered. We saw that the church is persecuted. We also saw that the church is God's vehicle of hope for the world around us, that it's through us, it's through the church that people will come to know about Jesus. And this week, I want to change lenses, focus a little bit this week from what the church is to what the church does. 
And one of my favorite passages from this whole book is this one from Acts 42, 2.42 this morning. And really, it's pretty straightforward. And I, so I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time kind of explaining what we see, but rather wanted to take this as an opportunity to encourage one another for what we can be and what we can do as the church of today. So read with me in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, as I look at this early church this morning, I do have to say I'm not necessarily suggesting that we do exactly what they do, look exactly like they look. In fact, the early church itself would grow in many ways past what we see this morning. Here we see them gathering daily, and eventually they'll move to gathering weekly on Sundays. Here we see them learning from the apostles' leadership, and as the church continued to grow and spread, it would become necessary to install elders at different congregations for leadership. Here we see the church growing from the evangelism of the apostles' preaching, and eventually there would become more organized and widespread mission efforts. The church grows and changes, but all of that being said, I do think that there are some principles that we can pull out of Luke's descriptions of this on-fire, spirit-led early community of the church. And so I want to look this morning at four actions of the early church that provide a model for us being who Christ always intended for us to be. And so the first thing, the first action that we see the church do is we see that the church learns. The church learns. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and and, and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now we're told first and foremost that these early Christians, these 3,000 plus zealous and energetic new believers, devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. To the teaching of those who had witnessed firsthand all that Jesus had done and now testified, they testified to who he was. And I love that word devoted that Luke uses. Literally, it's a word that means steadfastly continuing. It's used in other places of, of relentlessly pursuing, of this constant hunger. If you've ever seen one of those hot dog eating contests uh, where they're just shoving them in, dipping the, the buns and water to get them down fast enough, that's kind of, you can picture the appetite that these early Christians had for the Word of God. And maybe you remember in the early days of your faith, the, the hunger that you had for God's Word. As you were learning more and more, you had this insatiable appetite to know more about Jesus and the call that He had placed on your life. And that's the energy that I love about these early believers, that this, they had this feeling, this understanding that nothing was more important than learning all they could about God through His Word. Now, I know that learning and, and study is not everyone's forte. I have in my office a, a uh, frosted glass whiteboard that I use for sermon planning on my desk and sketching out ideas 
my wife got it for me for my birthday several years ago, and she calls it affectionately, I think, my nerd board. Uh, so I get it. I know that not everyone is learning-oriented. But I, I do think that we have to be cautious of the other end of the spectrum. You know, that, that we often don't emphasize learning and often put it down. According to Parapublishing, one-third of high school graduates never read another book for the rest of their lives. 42% of college graduates follow suit. In fact, 80% of American families did not buy or read a book in this last year. And so I want that to be an encouragement for you to not belittle knowledge. You see, I think there's this trend in recent Christianity and, and maybe culture at large to, to speak of theology and study and doctrine as necessary evils in favor of emotion and, and relationship. And yes, emotion and relationship are important in our faith. And how we feel and interact with, with how God and the Spirit speak into our lives, those are important. But I think by emphasizing those over theology and study, we're paying the price for it. I think we've held an emotional pseudo-spirituality in such high esteem over biblically grounded theology that we're paying the price in our politics and in our mission and in our students who go off to college and, and fall away from their faith. But as we look at these early Christians, as we look at these new converts, we don't we don't see them pursuing this ever-fleeting mystical experience, this emotional high that leads them to despise and disdain their theology. You see, we often think that if we're going to be spiritual people, then we can't also be thoughtful people as well, but that's just not the case. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so as we seek to do what the church does, let us commit ourselves to passionately learning the Word of God as the people of God, led by the Spirit of God, so as to better fulfill the mission of God. Let me say that again. Let us passionately pursue learning the Word of God, led by the Spirit of God, as the people of God, to better carry out the mission of God. And that's really what we have to understand this morning, that this knowledge isn't for the sake of just learning more, of growing our intellect but rather fulfilling a purpose. The church doesn't have knowledge just in the head arena. The church learns, but secondly, the second action, the church also loves. The church loves. Verse 44 says, All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, these verses are, are probably the most exciting to me in this whole section. To, to borrow a, a phrase from another preacher, a friend of mine, this is what gets my tail wagging. And I think they excite me because really it's unlike anything else we see in our, in our country or in our churches today. I mean, can you imagine a community that really lived this way? As I studied this passage this week, a verse came to mind that shocked me the first time I read it. Jesus says in Matthew 5.42, Give to anyone who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And when I first read those words, they, they shocked me because I, and, and maybe some of you can relate, I, I often have a problem with sharing. You know, there are some aspects of the terrible twos that just never go away. You know, we have this idea of, of mind. 
But when we recognize as Christians, as people who have submitted to the lordship of, of Jesus, that nothing that we own belongs to us, and it all belongs to God, that this kind of benevolent care come, becomes so much easier. I mean, what if God operated the way that we so often do? You know, that's mine. That's, that's my son. That's my grace, my forgiveness, my blessing. No, instead we see that the love of God is a love that gives. John 3.16, the verse that almost everybody knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The love of God is a love that gives. And because the early church shared in this love, and because this love was all sufficient in meeting their needs, they didn't feel the need to cling to money and possessions. And I don't want you to hear this sermon as a, as a money, money, money sermon. I want it to be an encouragement to us. I mean, even though I'm the new guy, it's easy to notice the generosity here. And we've surpassed this goal of, of $25,000 in, in, in going to finance the portables where people continue to deepen in their walk with Jesus. And, and we did that in just a couple of months I've heard and seen benevolence gone to help people that are in a, a tough spot. People who felt the love of Christ through your giving in their time of need. The donations to, to love Groveland all through the shutdown last year and continuing now to help struggling families. We see the generosity. And so in that, I want to challenge you and, and myself in this to keep giving, to keep loving, to keep demonstrating the love of the church by demonstrating that we love people more than we love our stuff. And in this, we see something come out. As we learn and as we love, we see the church, the third action, also worshiping. The church worships. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. As many times as we might have heard or been taught otherwise, I'm willing to bet that when you hear that word worship, the church worships, that the first thing that pops into our head is probably singing, musical worship. But I think the worship that we see taking place here in just these two verses, that we see this versatility to worship that we often don't think about. And we see formal worship. They are meeting in the temple courts and informal, meeting and eating in their homes. Vertical worship, worship to God that is directed to Him and horizontal worship, worship that comes as we live in community with one another. We see joyful worship. They have glad hearts and, and we see reverent worship. We see sincere hearts. And what I love about all of this worship is that it's worship that gets kind of outside the box. We need to worship outside of these walls. If you're a parent, I'm willing to bet that some of the best memories that you have are, are the times when your kids are, are together and they're just getting along. It's the times around the Thanksgiving table when they're laughing and eating and talking. Or, or when they're around the Christmas tree on, on Christmas morning in the pajamas and they're just passing out presents to one another, so excited to see what the others have received and what the others are giving. It's when your littles who spend 90% of their time bickering and fighting and generally just trying to annoy each other actually have this moment where they're playing together on the floor. 
And I think that's what it looks like when God sees us living in community together, that it brings his heart joyfulness. It's worship. Worship that brings glory to God and honor to his name and praise to his character and joy to his heart. And we do all of these things by just gathering together in his name. So I want to encourage you this week to worship through your relationships. To write a card to someone who, who's had an impact on your faith or send them a text message. To, to send someone a message to call them and, and maybe somebody that doesn't have much family there checking in for them. Invite a family over for a meal. All of these ways that we can connect together and actually worship because of the ways that we relate and the ways that we live, giving honor to God for what he's created us to be and to do. When we connect with others outside these walls and we live in community with one another, we, we might just see a little worship taking place. So we see the church learns and we see the church loves and we see the church worships. And the last one is an action that the church doesn't do, but is a result of all these others. And that's that the church grows. My favorite part of this whole passage says, And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. And being a minister, there are a few things more exciting than, than a steadily growing church. And don't we all want that? And nobody wants to say, hey, I go to a dying church. Come, join us. You know, it's, we want to see people coming to Christ and committing their lives to him and, and joining in service to him. But these four words in this verse There's four words that if we miss out on them, we will find ourselves overcome with doubt and discouragement or confusion. Or on the flip side of that, we'll find ourselves filled with pride or self-congratulation or or an overinflated sense of ego. And those four words are, and the Lord added. You see, it's not Bryce added or Daniel added or the elders added or your name added. The church grows by God's hand alone. But let us never use that as an excuse to be lazy in our mission. You see, it's God's action, but our effort. And as the church learns and the church loves and the church worships, the church grows in strength and number. You see, when the church looks like it's called to look, when the church does, the world takes notice. And so what would it look like if the church learned the word of God to have the answers that the world is dying to know? What would it look like if the church loved, loved its people more than its stuff? What would it look like if the church worshipped, gathered together in the good and the bad, in their homes and in church buildings and in joy and in sincerity. I think it would look a lot like Acts 2 and a lot like God intended it to look. So the opportunity this morning, the invitation this morning is a simple one. To be a part of a church that learns and loves and worships and grows. And for some of you, those include commitments this morning. Maybe it's a commitment to grow deeper in your understanding of God's Word. 
Maybe it's a commitment to dig deeper in giving to God's people. Maybe it's a commitment to connect deeper in making worship of God part of your everyday life. Or maybe it's a commitment to grow deeper in giving your life to Christ and His church. Whatever it is, all of us have ways that we can live out the church, do what the church does on Sunday mornings and outside these walls. That as the church leaves the building, the action is just getting started. And if you have a desire to make one of those commitments this morning, if we can encourage you in that or pray with you about that, then we'd love to, to talk with you as this next song continue, as this next song happens. You see, the church does. The church learns, the church loves, the church worships, and the church grows. So church, let's do. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you this morning. And I love to see this picture of the early church. We know as we continue through this book of Acts that times will get tough and persecution will occur. And hardship will be a part of that. But as we see this church begin, these 3,000 being added because of what your son has done, because of his death and because of his resurrection, we see this amazing picture of the church being the body of Christ in this world. Learning and loving and worshiping and growing. And so God, I pray that we would likewise be the same way. That we would be a church devoted doing what you have called us to do. That as we come together and gather on Sunday mornings and study your word and worship and live in community, that all of that is important. All of that is vital to what we do. But this is a base camp. This is a home base. This is a safe place that we can come and be energized for the work that really has to be done. The work beyond these walls in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods all of the places, the mission fields that you have called us to go. So God, I pray that you would use this passage to remind us what the church does, service to you, and in love for Jesus. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.